Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, 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 hey! Journey through the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year, that matter. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corder. You know, come Sunday at Bonnaroo, I'm going to get my ratchet on with Cardi B. But Thursday, I'm getting my hillbilly on with the Grand Ole Opry. Have you ever been described as fair to view? You you know what? Shockingly, I haven't. (laughs) What a great line. I couldn't be more excited about this week because when we looked at the uh, schedule, we looked at the lineup when it first came out, I think that we all uh, sort of assume there's going to be some sort of like country music super gem, whether it's uh, Ed Helms and the Bluegrass situation uh, or even the Opry from last year. But when we saw the Grand Ole Opry this year and where they decided to put it, I think our eyes bugged out of our head and said, this is something we know we have to be a part of. Absolutely. And then they didn't release the lineup for a long time a couple of weeks ago and then when we saw who it was our eyes bugged out again and i think the reason we were so excited about the grand Ole opry being on thursday is because a they've never done it before right and then b the the fan fest the cma fest is the weekend right before this and so if you happen to have a giant swath of the country music community all 60 miles north of you right three days before your festival begins yeah, I you can start to put the pieces together. And if you're the festival and they and you're courting Nashville as they have been in the last four very five hard, years, yeah, um, yeah, it all makes perfect sense. We were able to do this kind of on the fly. Yeah, uh, worked hard to try to get our guest, and he was cool enough. He ap- actually was in town to perform on Friday and called, uh, left me a message. About the time I was heading down to the festival, oh, said, bring your microphone and let's do this. Let me guess you forgot your microphone. I didn't get the message until okay. the next morning, but well, he was really cool to work with us and uh, we made this work. Well, we'll talk to uh, Catch from Old Crow Medicine Show here in a second, but let's set the table a little bit. The Grand Ole Opry on Thursday, uh, I grew up listening to country music, but not the country music in which you would associate with the, the, the industry. I listened to a lot of kitschy Joe Diffie when I was a kid, you know? Wow, I A lot of not. goofy Garth Brooks nonsense. And mainly because uh, where I grew up, that's just what all of my friends listened to. And, and until I like finally discovered like Neutral Milk Hotel and Death Cab for Cutie, right. uh, like I didn't really ever get out of that dorky wow. sort of country stuff. Bless your heart. I know. And then so so then as I expanded there, I sort of expanded my, my country palette and I almost went back. You know, back into time, sure. To to figure out what in the world, where all this comes from, 
And then uh, the reason I bring this up is because we talk a lot about what the industry boxes are with, with Catch. I've always been fascinated by what the Opry has done and what the Opry uh, is because it's so completely out of my wheelhouse. It's so completely out of my like normal zone that it almost fascinates me. It's a world in and of itself. Well, all right, I'll give you my background. I was uh, early, you know, teens, uh, 9, 10, 11, and then early teens when um, Hee Haw was huge. And I hated Hee Haw. <laughs> hated. It was an embarrassment. You know, we only had three channels, so there wasn't much to watch. So I probably watched more of it than I ever would have wanted. But I just thought it was the hokiest, stupidest thing ever. And it's funny because we talked to Catch in part because of his involvement with the Ken Burns History of Country Music um, documentary that he made. And that question came up during the panel discussion that I got to go to in Knoxville. It, did he haw help or hurt country? That music. was an actual question. It's an actual, yeah, it's a topic. I'm not the only one. It turned me off to country music because it was so hokey. If you remember, I mean, it's funny now for me to watch it, but that corn pone stuff was an embarrassment outside of this area man like so, if you were in california or new york watching that you either got it as you know the the humor that it was or that's how you thought of tennesseans in the south and i that's have never thought about absolutely this same so, thing with the beverly hillbillies they were both they didn't do the south well yeah that cliche of barefoot and dumb and right came in part from hee-haw that's so bizarre because the South before that was so gone with the wind. Right. I declare it show is a hot summer day out here. Yeah, yeah. So So it went from there to then becoming a self parody. Right. And and almost not everyone thought it was a parody. That's what I mean. So uh, a lot of the country thought, well, that's how we are here. So uh, so let me just let me just pretend that we are in the the mid seventies. And or the late 60s, right? When Hee Haw is around. Okay. So Hee Haw is around and you're in a different part of the country and you might maybe be a fan of Hank Williams Jr. You might be a fan of some sort of uh, country music, but then they put on this cartoon-like version of what the South is and then your ideal of it is completely different. Uh, for me, for me, and again, I was that of that age, you know, I was into... Um, the Ramones and the Beatles and stuff. So like weird that that, that so. cartoonized the country uh, crowd and cartoonized cartoonized the the South, but yet Kiss didn't cartoonize rock music. Fair enough, fair enough. So Buck Owens was a genius. Roy Clark is a phenomenal, was a phenomenal guitar player, and they would have great guests. But then you would hit, you know, you'd get the jokes uh-huh. in the, the cornfields, kind of. Like I said, watching it now, I get it. Yeah, but then it was such a turnoff. What are the, other than like Hee Haw and Beverly Hillbillies, what was around at the time that represented the South or country music at all? Was that it? Was that the only thing the national audience had? Pretty well, Grand Ole Opry, obviously the radio, Okay, which to bring things back around, we went to Opryland about that same time. I was probably a teenager. I bought my first concert ticket to Leonard Skinner and the plane went down two weeks before the show. Mm. That was going to be my first concert. Some weeks later, we as a family are at Opryland, and we noticed this crowd just walking into this building. So we followed them and found out it was the Grand Ole Opry, and we took a seat, and Marty Robbins was the No performer. kidding. So that was my first concert, and I love Marty it cha- Robbins. Did it change your, your perspective of it? It did, 
And then, this is kind of bringing a whole circle together, the Blues Brothers came out about the same time. I was not a blues fan, but that movie was my gateway to guys like Delbert McClinton, uh, some of those guys that I started looking up and then backtracked all the way to Robert Johnson. And that sort of opened my mind to country and then discovering Merle Haggard. I think Mama Tried probably is my gateway. Once I heard so Mama Tried, I thought, man, this is good. That's so fascinating. Yeah. I, I find this, again, we get lost, me and you, when we talk about process. I mean, process <laughs> yeah. for music festivals, process and how we get to certain artists. Dude, like, I wouldn't, I I listen to Goofy Country, my you know, from ages 12 to 16, and then my gateway to the, to the classic stuff was, of all people, Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. Because I got so into Hootie and the Blowfish when I was 16, 17 years old, and they would just keep playing country music at their shows, yeah. and every show I'd go to, they'd be talking about... They'd be talking about Roy A. Cuff, and they'd be talking about like Nashville country. And I'm like, what? Who are these people they're yeah, talking about? Exactly, exactly. And the second Napster shows up, I start looking into all this uh, older thing, these older things. I, I guess that's why I like the the Opry so much, and like the idea of the Opry so much. I've never been. I don't know if I ever will, but I like the idea of it because it seems like it's on an island in and of itself, surrounded by what could be the worst part of the industry which is top 40 pop country music. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tried to, to go with this with, with Catch a little bit, uh, asking him about um, where the industry is when it comes to the country box, but he said it pretty well that these things have, maybe it was you that said it, you'll hear it here in a second either way, but these sort of dynamics between the country that he does and the country that's sort of all around him has always existed. And it didn't hit me literally until four minutes ago when you said hee-haw the Beverly Hillbillies. They were running side by side with some of the the, the Hank Williams of the world. Well, and the Juniors and the Merles and the George Joneses. So, yeah, that was another question that came up as part of the, the panel discussion and I had never really thought about it, and I should because you and I have talked about it for a year and a half. There are different boxes. It, country music is not one thing. And you, you hear a lot of, uh, you read a lot of discussions of, you know, this act is not represent bro country, for example. Mm-hmm. It's just one part of country music. Yeah. But it tends to be the overarching one, and we, we all, we being some people like me in the media, who want to say that's country music and it's bad mm-hmm. when people like Dolly are still performing and Brandy Carlisle and Casey Musgraves mm-hmm. and all those kinds. Of, so there's a lot of different boxes, and that's part of what Catch talks about. Uh, so we've got uh, some Bonnaroo news to uh, get to here. Uh, we uh, promised that we had uh, some a little bit of detail when it came to the, the number for Bonnaroo. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, some other pieces of news, Bonnaroo-related, uh, some serious stuff uh, here in a second, but... I want to jump right into Catch because, man, we've had a few really, really great moments when it comes to conversations, uh, either with you and I or with uh, artists or fans that we really, really appreciate and respect and like. Outside of Paul Janeway, in the year and a half we've been doing this, in the two years we've been doing this, I loved this almost as much as anything that I've done. I did too. It's funny you say that. When we hung up yesterday, I think I sent you a note and I sent Catch a note thanking him. Uh, but I pretty much stood up in my chair in my office and did the happy dance. <laughs> I it, love when somebody represents 
the industry, their band, their profession, their art, as well as he did in this conversation. So uh, yeah, this is going to terrific. And I and I wanted to give you. Uh, I thought the question that people will hear the the Dylan thing was great. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, it was well, cool. We get to we get to put to death put to death or put to bed a rumor. Uh, was, has there been rumors? Well, you the one said there was all this, you know, whether he'd met Dylan or was Dylan involved. Oh, I didn't base the, that on a rumor that I had oh, heard. Okay. I just, just misinformation. I, or? No, I just did. I just didn't know. I mean, if if you don't know, Old Crow Medicine Show, the uh, the guy that's really behind it, the the songwriter and sort of the driving force behind Old Crow Medicine Show, which is basically your headliner for the Grand Ole Opry sort of super jam on Thursday night. Catch is the one that that sort of took the Bob Dylan line. And then created Wagon Wheel around it. And then Wagon Wheel was, you know, did pretty well for them. And then Darius Rucker gets it and then blows it up and makes right. it, I don't know, 700 times platinum. Right. And which is why Ketch is now a multimillionaire. Right. So he's got a lot of thanks to give to Darius Rucker. <laughs> but he had to have gotten this from Dylan. And you can't just like take some Dylan melody and then just you know, right. make some dollars off of it. I know for a fact there is some some angling and some back and forth between their camps, and I don't know if Dylan was necessarily happy with it, but who knows what Dylan's happy with. The whole <laughs> I, all I asked him was, because I will probably never in my life ever interact with somebody who's had a conversation with Bob Dylan. I don't, I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I ever have it. Actually, I've never even thought about it, but when I have this guy who literally pieces of Bob Dylan and then wrote a song right. around it. I have to ask him, I don't know anything about Bob Dylan. Yeah. He, you have great. to. It's, it it's like if it's like if somebody happened to be around the Beatles at the time. You know, you you have to ask. I totally yes, that's why uh when Graham Nash was in town the other here uh the other day, I was again doing happy dance kind of people were like why so much why are you so excited? I said he knew the Beatles before they were called the Beatles. Yeah. So you just don't miss that kind of history. Yeah, know? I know. I know. I said I wanted to jump into this real quick, but uh, obviously we don't do anything yeah, quickly. Do anything quick. So this is why <laughs> I met Regis. Yeah. Okay. So Regis came to Chattanooga one time for this for for one of Barry's papers events, right? So Barry's paper, the Chattanooga Times Free Press. By the way, we never said hello. I'm Brad Steiner from WTOD Hi, Radio Hits ninety six. That's Barry Corder. This is the What Podcast, a podcast for Bonnaroovians by Bonnaroovians. We're so close to Bonnaroo at this point. We're like days away that it, who cares about introductions? You don't care. So <laughs> just get um, on with it. So Regis comes to town. And he's doing an event for Barry's paper. And it was like this function for just old people. It was basically a convention center full of blue haireds and 85-year-olds. And Regis was like the star of the show. He came to do like a small talk or something. That's right. And I was the youngest guy there by 50 years. (laughs) I mean, not even close. Four decades at least. And the whole reason I went, everybody was like, why are you going to see Regis? Why in the world are you going to meet Regis? And I said, one reason and one reason only. He's met Dave. Dave right? Letterman. Yep. Dave Letterman. Where you going. Because Dave Letterman is my hero in life. Uh, I am not anybody if I don't have Dave Letterman. I don't have a, a perspective. I, he, he just, he's everything to me, right, as a kid. So I wanted to be in the same room, yeah. shaking the hand, and talking to someone who is that close to Dave Letterman. I get it. I'll never get that. Everybody close that to comes to town did. that is a Beatle connection. I'm the same way, and uh, yeah, no, I, I get it. And and 
that's why. Okay. So I'm with you. This was very exciting. It was that's why I pursued it all morning, sat on a Saturday to try to get him. Yeah, it's a little weird. So so you're the audio is a little funky. I'm on the phone. Uh, Barry's in studio and uh, catches on the phone as well. So it was totally. Uh, uh, on the fly, uh, Barry did a great job to get this, and, and the fact that we got him when we got him was about the only time we were going to get him. And we really, really had been this entire season. We've been dying to do a show on the Grand Ole Opry, right. and and we were waiting and waiting and waiting until the lineup was announced for who was going to be participating in the Super Jam. We finally got it, and uh, been been calling damn near every day trying to figure out a way to get one of them on, and we finally got it, and this was the time we got it. So. Here you go, uh, Catch from Old Crow Medicine Show on the What Podcast. Oh, doing pretty well, thanks. I gotta imagine so. This is a pretty crazy few weeks for you. Are you going to be at CMA Fest as well? Yes, I will be. I'll be there in support of Ken Burns and his exciting forthcoming film. Because Barry has been talking about this Ken Burns thing, actually, maybe nonstop since he <laughs> uh, went up and saw it. Uh, explain it to me, because I still... I'm fascinated by it, but I'm still a little bit in the weeds with it. Well, you'll want to learn everything you can about it ahead of time because it's certainly going to be a thrilling uh, television moment here in this country. Did you ever watch Dallas? Because I sure did. Oh, my God, I love Dallas. You know, you get into something, and serial entertainment is one of my most favorite styles. So here is the story of country music being built um, year by year in a 16-hour film that took eight years to make. It has um, about 140 um, interviews um, that are culled out of um, more like 400. And among those 140 people interviewed for the 16-hour film, probably 70 of them have since passed away. So Ken's um, involvement or Ken's decision to make the country music film happened right at this really pivotal time that I think um, we're all increasingly aware of, which the heroes, the um, the folks that really the progenitors of the music, um, are, are, are rapidly disappearing from this landscape. So here's a film that kind of captures, you know, the last hours of Merle. And Merle is sort of the spirit guide throughout the whole piece. Also, Marty Stewart. The footage is incredible. The story is anybody who who loves America is now going to love country music when they see this film. It sounds to me like you're not just an ambassador to the film. You're an ambassador for the entire genre of music. And I can't imagine that you thought that you would be that guy maybe in 1998. Well, you know, even before then, I was watching Ken Burns movies, you know, at about 11 or 12 when the Civil War series came out. And I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley, so I felt that the Civil War series on my PBS station was was talking about my hometown because they kept talking about the high school in my town, R.E. Lee. And they kept talking about the other high school that we played against, Stonewall Jackson High. And, you know, the the roar was right outside. I mean, it was right over the fence. It was underneath the Walmart parking lot. It was it was troop maneuvers through mountains that you could see from I-81. You know, it was all just felt very close. And so the Ken Burns part of it actually feels like uh, something I've been waiting to have happen for a long time. Yeah. And not a surprise. And then as far as the spokesperson of country music goes, you know, I, I've been um, really, um, it's been really wonderful to get to tell my version of the story. But 
you know, country music is such a vast thing that, um, you know, what I've learned to do is just one little part of it. Um, but I'm, but I, I love, I love this genre and I love being a part of the country music family. Yeah, it's interesting. Brad, Brad sort of jumped right in and nailed it. The uh, the conversation that we had, I, what he's referring, I was in Knoxville for the Ken Burns presentation. Uh, you guys were doing a whole sort of bus tour. Ken was there, the producers were there, you were there as part of a panel. And uh, it's fun to hear you talk about it in your backyard because I am literally sitting on Missionary Ridge as we're doing this interview. Uh, so I get that, you know, and uh when I moved down here from Indiana, people used to say, are you a, a Yankee or a rebel? And I'm like, what are you even talking about? You know, it's, <laughs> it's very much alive here, but that whole, that whole uh, timing of it that you mentioned, you know, we lost all these people, Johnny and Merle and, and on and on. Uh, the timing was just right, uh, for this series. I, I say just right. It could have been done anytime, but there are so many levels to this series. Yeah, it's going to be a really beautiful film. I'm I'm really excited about the kind of scholarship that can follow the country music story because you know country can be sort of um, have a sort of xenophobia to it. Here in Nashville, we like to think that you know we made it all up and it's a Nashville thing and we kind of own it and we can tell you what it is and what it ain't. Um, but the truth is that country music comes from Chattanooga. And from the copper mines east of there, uh, and from um, from the mica mines of Western North Carolina, and the coal mines of you know Upper East Tennessee and Southwest Virginia, and then it comes from Indiana, right. uh, from bands from the 1930s like the Hoosier Hotshots, who sold a lot more records than uh, than anybody in Nashville at that time. Yeah. Uh, so I I think having the outsider perspective is is something that's really great about this film because here you have America's premier documentarian, just a, a treasure of a filmmaker, um, talking about something that has had this tendency to um, be that, you know, you see the kind of, Nashville loves to tell its own story, just blow its own horn. You know, we just watched ABC over the past couple of years. We've had our, our very <laughs> own aggrandizing right. version of Dallas. Um, <laughs> But that's not country music's story. I mean, that's that's uh, yeah. that's got a lot more in common than the Ewing family than I think the Cash. Let me jump in, Brad, because yeah, there was like two or three points that I remember from that that interview. Uh, one, uh, everyone was asked, you know, who was the powerhouse? Who was the one person they wanted to meet? Who made their knees buckle, so to speak? And every one of them, can you guess said who or who they said? Dolly, of course. Um, the other point that really stuck with me is that con country music is very, very vast and different. It's not one thing. And, and we all want to talk about country radio and pick on the industry or whatever, but catch, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was sort of pointed out that Merle is every bit as different as, uh, the Carter family, as George Jones, as, you know, Jimmy Rogers on and on and on. So we all want to put it in this one box and it doesn't fit into the box. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. Um, and it, it never fit into the box though. The industry kept trying to build a, a different box and then found, you know, a lot of different boxes and bigger boxes, smaller boxes, more boxes. And even in the time that I've been in the music business in Nashville, I've seen the creation of a, of a really big new box called Americana music. Um, 
they're all just boxes, um, and they're no different than any of the other boxes. And uh, and music just doesn't see boundaries and barriers. Music is uh, is fluid, and uh, it it just can't be stopped. It it, it jumps turnstiles, y'all. Barry just hit on something that uh, I was actually going to ask, and it was. Basically, what do you think the industry or your genre or that genre is right now? You're right. They don't fit into any boxes because nobody's tastes fit into boxes anymore. Like all of our tastes are all over the place, right? Uh, Nobody's Spotify playlist is just one type of sound all the way down. And that sort of is, I would guess, listening to you guys, that's sort of the way that you guys have crafted your band and the way that you've crafted your songs is that you're not really beholden to any type of real style, uh, one specific style over another. You're with Limitless almost. Yeah, we, we really pride ourselves in being able to play a, a lot of the different kinds of traditional American sounds. So um, we go out to South Texas and we always the accordions and we always do some Tejano music No or, uh, when we're out in the, further in the southwest you know um, there's this great kind of music that the people around Tucson the indigenous people called the Tejano Odom play and they it's a kind of it's a genre it's a box called Waila which means you know dance uh, and so this is a, a kind of a kind of polka music with with uh, saxophones and so I can sing a little bit of that and then you know we you know I God, I can sing in Japanese and I can sing in Lingala and about six other equatorial African languages the 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 limitlessness is not so much what we've done so far in the first 21 years of this band but what could be um, as we continue to grow and learn and be inspired and recalibrated to this beautiful mystery that is ever unfolding the story of the music of the people of the world and how it unifies us and makes us one and I think increasingly in in, in times like these uh, forces of unity um, they got to that's what you got to cloak yourself in hey Barry when Ketch says something like that you know he, he starts talking about how it unifies it almost sounds exactly like the brand values and the core values of Bonnaroo yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a perfect lead in to kind of why we're talking to Catch is Brad and I, Catch, have been so excited about this Grand Ole Opry stage thing since it was announced. It's, you know, it's been like just these three words on the schedule, but we immediately latched onto it as this important, big, huge opportunity. And then when it was announced, the lineup and, and you guys were on it, we both were like, well, that's, we got to. We got to talk to we got to talk to them. This is this is it seems like it's going to be as big a deal as we think. What what can you tell us about it? Well, last year was the first year that the Grand Ole Opry broadcast remotely since I want to guess about 1945 when the Grand Ole Opry went to Carnegie Hall. Uh, so I mean that in itself, you know, it's been 75 years since the show left Nashville. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so for it to travel 75 miles south down I-24 to go to Bonnaroo is, it's not as nearly as, as much of a geographic leap. But for the grand, the, the leap in this case is not the, the Opry moving uptown to the, to the city, but here the Opry moving to the, to the festival, to the jam campground, to the, to the, the, um, you know, to the angel haired hipsters and millennial generation. And all of the folks for whom 
Bonnaroo is the ultimate slip slide. <laughs> Angel hair hipsters down the slip slide. I it that sounds like my indie band. Um, I, I love that description of it, and I love the way that you you paint a picture with your words because I know I just know based on the words you're using, Bonnaroo means something to you. It sure does. Old Crow uh, started playing Bonnaroo the first year it opened. In fact, we were the first band to take the stage, and. Uh, it was, uh, you know, like 11 o'clock in the morning on, on a, I guess the show started on a Friday that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody was stuck in traffic trying to get there, so it wasn't much of a crowd. But, you know, we walked onto the stage knowing that we were outsiders to the kind of particular jam band sounds that were prevalent at Bonnaroo in its infancy before it had sort of become, you know, multi-ethnic, eclectic, um, you know, the kind of, uh, the kind of, uh, Golden Corral buffet line that it can be now. With just, you want shrimp? <laughs> <laughs> this Post Malone tastes delicious. The little grits, mm-hmm. little grits with that. I like it. What is the, uh, have you guys already had meetings, talks about how the ses- set's going to go? Well, we, um, I'm, I'm sort of basing it on last year because, you know, we were really involved and we, I was the host and it was, um, and then there were a number of meetings leading up to this first one. So this is the second one and we, we definitely know some things we didn't know before. And, uh, we have our meeting on Monday after this. Weekend with Old Crow with the Ryman comes to an end. And then we'll, um, I'll put on my Opry at the Rue hat and we'll start talking through. But one of the things that makes, um, the Grand Ole Opry Rue, as I think of it, um, so special this year is the, uh, is the lineup, which is incredible. Right, right. Do you remember who's on it? Cause I, I, I can Well, the name a... that I'm most excited about is somebody who's actually, um, been to Bonnaroo before, and I don't know if a lot of people know, Ricky Skaggs. Yeah, I mean, it, when you come to Tennessee, there's an expectation that, that you're gonna hear some great picking. And, yeah. and so even if you came to Tennessee because you're 19 years old and you love Paramore or you love whatever, uh, something that's got nothing to do with country music, maybe. Uh, I mean, that's even, that's, uh, that's probably super dated. I, I don't know who everybody's no. listening to. Uh, Par- Paramore's a good one because Haley Williams from Nashville, she's curating entire plaza for the weekend of Bonnaroo. So you actually had a very, uh, apropos, uh, yeah. okay. You want me to read it? It's you guys, obviously, uh, Steve Earle and the Dukes, Morgan Evans, Ashley Monroe, Wendy Moten. Ricky Skaggs, Riders in the Sky, Molly, Molly Tuttle, uh, the Opry Square Dancers, and Bill Cody's going to be doing the announcing. Well, it's going to be a great night. I'm just excited about sharing the, the Opry with the Bonnaroo audience. So right. if, you're, if you're coming to town because you've, you know, you've been waiting all year to see the Arctic Monkeys or somebody, but, you, but in fact, you get to get turned on by Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder. And you get to come all the way to Tennessee from Indiana or Michigan or Connecticut and really get your socks turned inside out by hillbilly music. Uh, what a, what a great thing. And, and that feels like a kind of responsibility for us here at the Grand Ole Opry is to make an access point 
to um, to a, a younger generation for whom even their parents didn't listen to this show. Maybe their grandfolks did, but you know we're getting to a time in life in which you know the Opry's been on the air for ninety some years, and uh, there's just not that many ninety year old people left. Well, we we still vary. Um, <laughs> they you know, all gotta get it in. Yeah, I saw that one coming. <laughs> does CMA Fest happening five days before the Grand Ole Opry show, does that make things easier to pull friends in, or does it not really even register to anybody? Um, well, everybody on this um, on this bill uh, has one foot in Bonnaroo and one foot in, um, in, in fanfare, and that's mm-hmm. just because, you know, like Morgan Evans has probably got more – you know, more feet and fanfare, mm-hmm. but probably wants to have more feet in Bonnaroo because, I mean, if you get that audience behind you, I mean, that's a that's big time. Yeah, um, yeah. But that... I think that somebody like Wendy Moten, you know, she's she's going to be making. She made her Grand Ole Opry debut not long ago, and she's been in the music business for a really long time. This is an African American singer from Memphis who's been in Nashville for quite a while, and. Is working on a project with Vince Gill. She's she's wonderful, you know. For mm-hmm. her, I think whether she was at Fanfare or at um, at Bonnaroo, you know, it's it's a it's a win. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Ricky clearly has done Fanfare for you know thirty years, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I bet he's really excited. But my favorite part of this, y'all, is the writers in the sky, because that's where the kind of kaleidoscope really gets. Um, um, strange and erratic and wonderful, because I think when you start bringing back the the sequin suits and the and the humor and the uh, ribaldness to the that that makes the Grand Ole Opry so special. When you bring that into the into the Bonnaroo's space, where you might have uh, people that are uh, just wearing latex paint, you know, <laughs> or uh, you know, or whatever they're tripping out on. Right. right. Um, to go see a band that's been playing for the past 40 years in these costumes and singing beautiful cowboy harmonies, I just feel like that's sort of the ultimate trip. You know, like yeah. talking coyotes and like sleeping on a cactus spur. Well, it, re- it reminds me of Wanda Jackson being there several years ago. I walked through Cineroo the next day and I got behind a couple of guys that were probably in their 30s and, and, and I don't think they were right, but I'll never forget one of them said to the other, man, not only did she know Johnny Cash, she did Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> And they were just so that whole history, though they were they were touched by the fact that you know this woman was there when rockabilly was invented, kind of thing. So that's one of the things that we talk about on this podcast a lot. Catch is that sort of the Bonnaroo audience is there to be introduced to good music. They generally, for the most part, don't care the genre. That's probably not fair, is it, Brad? They're not quite that. They don't go too far afield, but they just want to see good music. And if it's country or if it's EDM or blues or whatever, they're appreciative of the fact that Bonnaroo yeah. thinks they're good enough to be on the lineup. So That's right. I, 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 I take it more uh, as the Bonnaroo fan or the Bonnaroovian is craving a moment. Yeah. And they can find them 
damn near everywhere. And I think the Wanda Jackson show was a moment. Uh, you're watching you're watching country royalty, right? And I think Solomon Burke was a moment, and yeah. not a lot of people were there. Del, um, Del I mean, McCurry was there last year. Was a big, big thing. He's been there. A couple and we've of times. said this before, especially when we talk about John Prine. I don't mean to be, you know, dark and, and dour about this, but you know, you're not going to have many more opportunities to see some of these royalties play ever again. And when you have an opportunity for a moment, like a John Prine, like a Wanda Jackson, like a Solomon Burke, you have to take it. And uh, I don't care if you're a fan of the genre, so it be. You have to take it when. Our eyes lit up when we saw the Grand Ole Opry thing pop up across the schedule. It was not so much that the Grand Ole Opry was on the schedule, but it's where they decided to put it, the schedule that they, they decided to, to place it at. To open the festival like that is really, really gutsy. They're creating a moment right there at the beginning of the festival, and they're, they're staking their claim. They're saying, this is who we're going to be, and we're going to celebrate this for the rest of the weekend. And you can see it through the rest of the schedule. You can see it through John Prine. You can see it through Marin Morris, uh, Kelsey Ballerini, Casey Musgraves, Old Crow Medicine, on and on. You can see exactly what they're trying to do. Look, if, if, you're, a, if you're an intelligent Bonnaroovian, which 99% of the ones that are listening to this are, you know exactly that this Grand Ole Opry show is going to be a moment. It sure was last year. So I, and you know, I think what, a, well, last year, maybe we were on Sunday, so it sort of culminated. Right, and right. To get to kick it off this way is really cool. And, you know, living here in Nashville and seeing the Bonnaroo press over the past few months, seeing um, the Opry be at the very top of the page is really exciting. You so know, awesome, I, man. But the thing I really like to imagine is is if Roy Acuff could transport to Bonnaroo 2019, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe if Lil Nas X was on the bill. Oh yeah, and good. We could get yeah. Roy and Lil Nas together. <laughs> now I think that could be some of the kind of country music I want to hear. Well, I, Brad and I have been lobbying for Dolly, so catch if you have any pull there. Uh, we would love to see Dolly on on the farm. I, I think there's there's not there's not a human being or artist alive that makes more sense to be a Bonnaroo than Dolly Parton. Period. End of story. Conversation. Yeah. So make it happen, Catch. We're we're yeah. counting you. We're uh, putting all of our eggs in your basket, buddy. Yeah, I'd love to see Dolly too. But I'm telling you, I think um, Roy Acuff back from the dead yeah, yeah, with yeah, Lil yeah. Nas. That's yeah. my chance. <laughs> hey, so I want to go backwards a little bit, and I know this is well-worn territory, and I know that this has gone through a million times, but I just want to hear it straight from you because I've never, I've never heard you say it. Uh, I know Wagon Wheel was such a big deal, and it probably changed your life. What kind of conversations did you specifically? Because you're probably going to be the only person in the history of my life that I know that has had a conversation with Bob Dylan. What did that and those conversations go like? And did you have them at all? No, never met the guy. You never talked to Bob Dylan, even after the success of Wagon Wheel? No. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That is so Bob Dylan. (laughs) I'll tell you a funny story. He was out, uh, a couple of us were, remember the year that the, the, one of my favorite Bonnaroo stories was when, Lord, we played it like five times, six times, and in many different incarnations. Um, but one of the years we were there, and I was playing harmonica with John Prine, and we were doing, um, um, we were standing by Peaceful Waters, you know, Lake Louise. Oh, it's one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. And Chris Christopherson was there watching the whole thing. It was fantastic, right? Wow. It was like a 
like a country music dream come true. Well, um, wait, wait, what were we talking about again? Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> Dylan, yeah. Oh, wow. Thanks. Okay. Yes. So that that was the same year that we met this these really sweet and cute boys from England who I'd never heard of until we got up on stage with them and everybody just shouted for the Mumford boys. Mm. And Mumford and Sons were made known to me at Bonnaroo in probably 2010. And then immediately after, our lives would be intertwined for um, for a couple of years, you know, in, in far-flung places. So we went, we played all over Europe with them and we played all over the U.S. with them and um, we made this movie with them that won a Grammy Award, and we did all, a lot of work with the Mumford Boys. Well, it was sort of their, you know, launch, and they were on the Grammys that year with Bob, and Bob was going to come out and, you know, hang out with them or, like, do a song with them on the Grammys. And so our friend from Old Crow, Gil Landry, flew out to L.A. for this moment, um, and uh, and he's hanging out backstage, and and they're sitting on this couch, and there's T-Bone Burnett, who's the producer on this portion of the broadcast, and we've just done this this recording with him that never came out, and uh, he's sitting there talking to T-Bone, and then this shadowy figure lurking behind the couch pops up, and he says, Did you say you were in Oak And And Gil Landry says, Yeah, uh, yeah, man, hey, hey. And then Bob says, Well... You guys are killing it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I'm not, I've never met the guy, but apparently he approves. I love that uh, connection to Mumford because it's amazing how long you guys were doing the, the sort of sound and the sort of band that you were and how the industry and, and the sound came back around back to you guys is that i know it's a clumsy and i fumbled it a little bit clumsy way of getting there but your sound became mainstream and you guys are just hey we've been around and been doing this for a while guys right well that's that's what happens when you're in a band for 21 years it turns yeah. out you're older than bonnaroo <laughs> yeah it's a fascinating tale your your band story and um through every iteration and been able to touch in so many different places of the industry is really, really fascinating. And I don't mean this in any way, but positive, but you're almost like, you know, the industry's best kept secret, even though you've won a, you know, Grammys. And even though that one of the biggest songs maybe ever, yeah, right. it still feels like it feels like, and this is the best compliment I can give. When I see you guys, I still feel like those are my buddies up on stage, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, no, it's that's a, a good way to put it. I, I think it's so. It's such a personal connection that you guys have. And it's got to be because 21 years ago, you were everybody's friend when you were doing shows. Well, let me just jump on that. They played here in Chattanooga just last night, and that was exactly the vibe. Uh, Brad, yep. I think you nailed it. It's like everybody in the audience is like, hey, let me introduce you to my favorite band you've never heard of. And the crowd was huge. So your your point is right on. Well, you know, when you come from from our upbringing musically, you know, it's just when you start on the street corners, it turns out that even the biggest stage on earth is just another version of the street corner. It's the same bit, you know, you just try and get people to stand by and, and dance and and hopefully, you know, love it. And you share that with them, and it's real truthful and honest, and there's no smoke and mirror. It's just music and joy and fun and fraternizing and gregarious lovemaking and all that groovy stuff, man. 
And if you do it long enough, then you find that you get really good at it, but that it, it kind of reverts to how it was in the beginning. I think that's the thing of what they say about music making you eternally young. I mean, that's the case in point of it, that you just you feel like you're 14 years old up there, even though flip the numbers, that's how old you are. Yeah. Brad, we, really- we keep stumbling across themes this year, don't we, Brad? The street yeah. corner thing. Yeah, we've how, had a few buskers on this year. How many? How many have we had that started on the street corners and learned to connect with an audience? What a what a That's cool right. thing! Man, I, I I really do appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us and and feeling as though we've got a friend up there. I, I think that the industry has so few really really good ambassadors to the art. Dave Grohl is a really good ambassador. Whatever somebody thinks of Jack White and his product, I think Jack White's a really good ambassador for for the art. And for country music, I don't see, or even the Opry, I don't see many people waving the flag as good as you are. So thank you for that. As as just a fan, I appreciate how well you represent the industry. Well, I appreciate that a lot. And I will see you and all of you out there. I'll see you at Bonnaroo 2019. Thanks for doing this, Catch. Really, really appreciate it. And I'm really excited about the movie, too. I can't wait for that. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. September 19th. Peace, everybody. So long. He's thoughtful. He's insightful. Uh, damn near brilliant. I love his choices of words. I love the way that he crafts a sentence. I love the way that he crafts uh, music. I love the way he puts uh, words together and then gives them to us in song form. I was late to the Old Crow party. Uh, I gave uh, friends of mine a hard time for being a fan of it. Uh, but see it once. It's so 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 good they're great and they were great the other night here for our festival um and i want to give a, a thanks too to jim Flamia at uh open Eye, or all eyes media for making that happen he's he's the guy i pestered and said yeah. please and and he got on the phone obviously made it happen so um yeah that was terrific i loved everything about that it was informative gives you an idea of what we're gonna see in a in a it, what 10 days and this is what i, I like about it. every time that he talks i stop dead in my tracks because I know something that is going to come out of his mouth is going to be very, very, very insightful. Thoughtful, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And and it's he's going to have a turn of phrase that I'm going to be irritated I didn't think of first. <laughs> so like I could I could go back and listen to that over and over and over, just write down the things that he says because it's just so well crafted. And you know it, it takes a special brain. I don't know if he's he's you know whipped the stuff up beforehand. If so, he got way too prepared for a podcast. Yeah. But, <laughs> but my guess is these things just flow from him naturally, and you got to have a major gift to do something like yeah. that. Yeah, that, he was great. I, I thought what he told us was great, and uh, where we went, we spent a lot of time on the the Ken Burns thing, which was terrific. I'm actually really excited about that because I, I don't think that. You can be a music fan and not embrace something like this. Uh, I, I don't know how you. I don't know how you miss this. I don't know how you can love this art so much and not want to spend eight hours with damn near one of the best film guys in the world. Yeah, we saw parts of it. We only got to see I don't remember even five minutes, ten minute trailer, and it's it's good what they did. And he he mentions the timing, and and that's right. They spent eight years on it, and it just so happened that we lost a lot of the legends during that time, but they were able to speak to some of them beforehand. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that's a weird sort of thing to think about is when you have people still alive now, like a dolly versus, you know, trying to go back in time and piece together things. And they did some of that. But the other thing that is interesting 
because of where we live, Brad. I mean, we're two and a half hours from Nashville. We're three, three and a half from the Tri-Cities area where the Carter family came from, where basically country music to a large degree was formed. And I heard, I, this is kind of an interesting, um, I was talking to a guy here who had gone to the museum up in the Tri-Cities area. What museum? The country, there's a country music museum. Is it really? Bristol, I think it is. I didn't know that. And he asked, why, why Nashville? Why is the music started here? Because that's where, if you remember all the um, Library of Congress, those guys used to come down and do their field recordings, go find the, the pioneers, and they do a lot of field recordings. And he asked, why, why then Nashville? Why is the Nashville the heart of, and he said, that's where the paper is. And he's like, what do you mean? He said, that's where all the contracts and publishing Oh, how about that? That's for the money. Yeah. The lawyers. You mean it's not in Bristol? No. Okay. (laughs) They didn't shift at all. But what an interesting observation. Yeah, so we have all that right here surrounding us. And so I'm anxious to see the documentary as well. I can't wait for the show. And as far as it goes for Bonnaroo, again, and I can't stress this enough, there are so many places where, and I said this to Catch, there are going to be moments you know, something tells me after all the Bonnaroo's that I've been to and all the music festivals that I've been to, uh, you can almost start to see them coming down 24. Right. You got it. I see the lineup. Old Crow Medicine Show, Steve Earle, Morgan Evans, Ashley Monroe, Wendy Moten, which by the way, he's right about that Wendy Moten. She's unbelievable. Uh, Ricky Skaggs, Riders in the Sky, Molly Tuttle, and the Opry Square Dancers. Something tells me there's there's something more magical coming. Uh, you yeah. don't you don't have Nashville just to the north of you and all of these country artists popping up around the schedule like you do this year and such a focus on Nashville specifically from Bonnaroo without something up their sleeve. You know, maybe I'm overselling it. Maybe I'm being naive and, and just wishing a little bit too much. But I I just got it. I've got this feeling like something magical is going to happen on Thursday. There's well, no reason they put it on Thursday if they don't have something up their sleeve. If if I'm I tend guessing. to agree, but I was you know watching you as uh, the Riders in the Sky song. That's new to you. You didn't know what that was. I don't know who they are. No, but they're great, and that's going to be a good show. Catch. Honestly, to I thought it. Riders in the Sky was a Doors cover band. I swear well, I, to God. I think there is one. Really? Probably. Okay, well, see, every time I hear Riders in the Sky here in town, sure. I think it's a Doors cover band, but no, it is a... No, legendary uh, band. They wear the a costume. They, run, lack of they wear the whole outfit, huh? Yeah, yeah. They look, they look like what you used to see on Hee Haw quite a bit, but uh, they've been around forever, and they're terrific. My point is, is that's the kind of thing that you and I have been stressing this whole time Get out of your wheelhouse. Go try something that's new to you. Trust Bonnaroo that it may not be for you. You may not like it, but it's going to be well done. And you may discover something completely new. Yeah, I understand that, um, you know, going from Grizz to uh, the Grand Ole Opry is a little bit of a uh, little bit of a swing. Riders in the Sky little Cardi B. Yeah. Schizophrenic. I don't think writers in the sky are going to be going on a stage at any moment, but it, it is where it is really why Bonnaroo is so great and why we love it so much. Now, back to uh, the festival in general. Uh, we got a confirmation number. I've been reading how people get a report or they have a source or they, they know somebody at Live Nation or this or that when it comes to the number of people that are going to be there. And that's all well and good. And all those people might be totally honest and true. Uh, but we just decided to say, screw it, we'll just call and find out exactly what the number is. And so we sort of threw one out as something that we thought was true, much like all these other people did last week. Right. But we called and got the actual number. 
Yeah, and, and not to pat myself too you know too hard on the back, but that is the difference between being a journalist and yeah. not is instead of spreading rumors, pick up the phone and ask somebody. Yeah, or send them a text, and that's what I did, and reached out, and the the number is eighty thousand. That is that is sellout. that is the, that is what the sellout been. number. That's what has been has been since what the second year. No kidding. The so first, this number has not changed. No, no. The first year or so was wide open. It was whatever because they didn't know, and then they decided they needed to cap it. So it's been eighty thousand. It's been eighty thousand since it had a cap. Yeah, it's okay. never been anything but eighty thousand. So eighty thousand is the drop dead um, sellout number. So when you hear somebody say it's damn near a sellout, and it is. And that is something we confirmed as well, too. They're very close to selling out 80,000 tickets. Now, as far as any of these 100,000 numbers that we get, uh, the next question that we probably should ask is, what's the the pluses? Like, after 80,000, how many vendors are there? How many guests are there? Uh, Do we count artists? Do we count volunteers? What is that number over 80? That, uh, we're not going to get a hard number on. Okay. But- you can, I mean, from my knowledge, there's 2,500 or so volunteers. Mm-hmm. You can walk around and see how many vendors there are. You can see the support staff. So, but the by back. the way, you know this for a fact that there are 2,500 or so volunteers yeah. because you had somebody very close to you, yeah. very involved with the very volunteer program. Yeah, that program. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, you get you can get close to that 20,000 if you start adding those sort of clumps of people up. Vol- the volunteer number is probably the highest. I have no idea. I really don't. That, do you think? Do you think there are twenty five hundred people back there in guest camping? I haven't thought about it. I'm just trying to do this math because because this is what the next question is going to be. Somebody's going to try and get to the number of a hundred, and I just want to see how close we can get. Uh, with with vendors being, I would say a thousand. You know, you got you got a hundred vendors, hundred and fifty vendors. Everybody brings a few people at a time, maybe two hundred. So let's just make it a thousand conservatively. You got twenty five hundred volunteers, and you probably have that many guests back in guest camping. Um, I mean, I think that the number, if I'm being honest, I think it's probably 90. I think you can probably, probably. find 10,000 people plus the 80 that uh, are just in and around. Now, there aren't day passes. Counted in what? I, I don't know if the day passes count as part of the 80. Well, that definitely counts towards the 80. Yeah, it has to. So. so so again, the idea is like, when when is it going to be the most? When is it going to be the less? At least, and I, said, I saw somebody on Reddit say this uh, almost perfectly, and I think that this is right. I don't know what we expected other than 80,000 when you really think about it. I know this is, you know, posthumous and we're, we're, we're almost backwards thinking here, but Fish has not been right. touring, have they? And frankly, they sell out when they, when they go, 60,000 yeah, seats everywhere they go. Stadiums. So, of course, they bring at least 50K with them wherever yeah. they go. You got 25,000, I think the number 30,000, 25 to 30,000 diehard Bonnaroo fans that are going just because of the brand, guys like us, we're going to go no matter who's on the lineup. And right. There you go. And There's 75,000 people. That 100,000 number keeps, in my mind, goes back to the McCartney year. And that's where, you know, with a guy like that, suddenly everybody who has any affiliation with the festival that can maybe get you a ticket is your best friend. Sure. So there was all those people that came just for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you remember that. That afternoon, it was like, where did all these people come from? Yeah, it exploded out of nowhere, and, and they shut coming. everything down. I don't think we've ever actually said this. I've got, I've got some, I've got at the time pretty good access. They let nobody anywhere backstage, nowhere. In fact, didn't they shut down even the freeway? Uh, they to told get- Ashley told me yesterday or last year when we were doing the media tour, 
And I just happened to bring up the McCartney thing. He said, I couldn't even get backstage. <laughs> he, is, it's it's his, his festival. <laughs> and they denied Ashley Caps a way to go from backstage to the pit. He said he had to walk through the crowd to get to the McCartney pit. That's hilarious. That is unbelievable to me. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, so that was a that was <laughs> a crazy time. That's not going to happen this year. Fish no. is not, they don't care. Um, but the number is 80. I think that you can conservatively say 90,000 people will be there, which is great for the festival. And it's, it makes us all feel good because it feels like it's back again. It's right. relevant again. Right. But it doesn't make for the best user no, experience no, 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 sometimes. No. Yeah. I, was, I liked being comfortable. Yeah. No, being who, able who to didn't? walk around. Who so. didn't? Um, so the other thing that I wanted to bring up was the uh, very serious thing that happened over the past couple of days when it came to a threat to Cineru. Um, did you see this? Uh, Festival Lao was the one that I saw it, and it might have come before that, but there was a, a guy or a few people making some uh, really obscene threats to Cineru, to the campgrounds, to the show in general. Mm-hmm. Clarksville? Co- Co- Coffee County. Coffee County. Yeah, yeah, whatever police department's there, uh, reached out to him, found him, uh, has him in for questioning, and has sort of shut some of that down. I, I know this feels different because uh, of all the other festivals, and especially since Las Vegas and the shootings at Las Vegas. But the guy, same guy that shot up Las Vegas, right, and took out so many people, mm-hmm. he was originally going to do that at Lollapalooza the same year, earlier in the year. And uh, you want to hear something crazy? He rented a room, he got a room in the exact same hotel that I stayed at on the exact same floor that I stayed his room was a good 10 rooms down from mine. Had that gone through, it gives me creeps just thinking about it. I mean, it gives me chills down to my spine. I have forever, ACL Fest is different. ACL Fest, you're, you're far, far, far away from a lot of um, buildings, so I never felt that sort of danger. But I've always had like a side eye ever since Vegas, and I never, n- never do feel totally comfortable, except at Bonnaroo. I've always, always, always felt comfortable at Bonnaroo. Yeah. I've never once felt like there was a, a time where it could even be possible. So this sort of threat, this sort of like bizarre rant that this guy went on that really didn't make any sense on Facebook, and I'm not even going to justify it by reading it, just reading that sort of shook me to my core. Yeah. Because I don't like that feeling of being unsettled at the safest place maybe that I have in my life. Yeah, and it it's... I mean, not to scare people, but the threat is real. You, you know, I used to live in that sort of bubble that it could never happen to me, never happen around here type of thing. And then we had the five soldiers shot, uh, what, two days before you and I left for hangout. They were shot here in town and killed. You mean Forecastle? Forecastle. Yeah, sorry, before Forecastle. Hangout. Hang yeah. yeah, yeah, Forecastle. Um, so it can happen. So I don't, I don't like saying this because it makes me feel like I'm peddling fear. But we would be derelict of duty as a broadcasters, but then be as your friend to not remind you, please be aware. Yeah, be Just aware. be aware. Uh, I know we get lost and we're going to get lost for five days, but please, please, please just keep in mind the world in which we live. I mean, dude, we just know, saw what happened in Virginia. mentioned Beach. it before, but the security up there, when you're walking around, if you're new to it, you're not going to see a lot, but know you're being watched. 
Remember we had somebody who sort of works with them tell us about the control room with all the cameras that you don't see. Oh, my God. I forgot all about yeah, that. Yeah, I remember they could tell what time it is on your watch. Oh, my <laughs> God. I level. forgot <laughs> all about that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, it, you're being watched. If you know if something happens, I would expect that there will be people on top of it pretty quickly. Uh, let me just say, there was a time when I was at Music Midtown, and I had a lanyard, and the the person I was with had a lanyard, and her friend did not. And so I just decided to take my lanyard off and give it to her, and let her <laughs> go backstage and watch Weezer from the side stage. Within 45 seconds. <laughs> I mean, That's what I mean. How in the world did you find me? A little tap on the shoulder. Oh, oh, I got they escorted they carried me out. Oh wow. They literally carried me out. And it was totally totally bizarre. This is my environment, right? This is where I live and breathe. I know what I'm doing here. I couldn't believe I was being carried out of yeah. Music Midtown. We were talking with Drew Holcomb, remember in that interview talking about what he learned from AC with his festival, he said that level of technology for the weather. Oh you know, yeah, remember that? Yeah, it was that's like, the only. Oh, this is how you do it. Sure. You don't have the app on your phone. Yeah, that's. <laughs> believe me, that ain't the only piece of technology they're that's using. It ain't just weather they're using the technology for. That's, that's my point. It's a big time operation. Well, there you go. Uh, Grand Ole Opry episode. I absolutely uh, am, am thrilled about the Grand Ole Opry. I'm glad they're featuring it on Thursday. And Catch could not have been a, a better guest to sort of put in perspective for right. us. And I wanted to mention uh, we're getting, you know, it's almost travel time, and and you and I both created Spotify podcasts. I mean, uh, playlist. Spotify you know playlists. And, and and so if, people want to listen to some music coming on while they're driving. That's a good idea. In fact, I should probably update. I should probably throw in some more stuff in there that I like because the only things that I put on my Spotify playlist were the ones that I featured as picks. Right. So I might as well just throw some other stuff in yeah. that I like, even if I'm not going to be going to the show yep i did i'm gonna do the same add some more because i keep finding new things oh and by the way the other thing that we confirmed this week is we're uh, absolutely doing camp retaroo yep we're, we're gonna, gonna do the beer, beer exchange change. we're gonna do a podcast from there That's yes right. so we're gonna we're gonna try and bring the whole setup and the whole team and and have everybody out to the camp retaroo beer exchange the only problem is that i i gotta figure out how to uh bring some of my cellared beer but because they're all bombers and glass i don't know how i'm gonna oh, get that in that's a good point yeah i don't know how to do that but yeah that we're gonna do that and i think we have a couple other things uh lined up on site so it's gonna be a busy week all right we'll see ya. uh i think we got one more show we might i think next week we're gonna do one really quick odds and ends uh show and then it'll be uh bonnaroo time well we have another interview too oh that's right DeLacy. yeah we have delacy next week and uh we'll uh, clean up uh whatever's left up to to talk about before bonnaroo The stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year? That matter. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corner. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams. And come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.